Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast. I'm Jordan Upton, the Director of Broadcast and Media Outreach at First Baptist, and with me as always is Pastor Jeff Reynolds. Jeff, how are you doing today? Doing great, Jordan. How are you? I'm good. How was your weekend? Oh, it was it was busy, but it was it was blessed. So we got to got to celebrate with a lot of folks who were doing various things, and so we had a big time. How about you? It was good. Yeah, I got to be with a lot of family this weekend. It was a good weekend. Good deal. Yep. So we'll dive right into James one. We're reading verses twenty two through twenty seven today. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer. He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious but does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this— to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So that's a that's a long passage. There's a lot of things in there. There's a lot of things that you talked about on Sunday that we could delve into. We'll only get into a couple of them today. But one of them that I wanted to get into is an image you shared from Pastor Steve Ayers about the church. So he said that churches are made of believers, unbelievers, and make-believers. Can you unpack that dynamic? Well, sure. As... Baptists, we believe in regenerate church membership, and so to be a member of a church, you need to be saved, and that's why we have baby dedications and not, you know, we're not bringing them into the membership of the church. You come to know Christ, you are, you profess that faith by way of biblical baptism, and then you become a member of the church. What Steve was getting at was every gathering uh, of church. Every worship gathering is made up of three types of people. The first two are pretty easy to understand. They're, you got believers, people who trust and follow Jesus, and then you got unbelievers there. And we pray that every church service we have has unbelievers in it, that we're inviting our friends who don't know Jesus so that they might be exposed to the to the teaching of Jesus and the hope that Jesus offers. But then the third group, and this is, this is what caused this quote to stick with me, is the make-believers. And I thought, wow, what is a make-believer? And quite simply, it's someone who is pretending, someone who is, is putting on a show, putting on a facade that they are a part of the community of Christ, and yet they are not. Um, at the most uh, extreme level, there was a student who went to a Christian college, and he did it as an experiment. And he was not a Christian at all. In fact, he was an atheist. But he was able to fold himself into the culture to the degree that he said the right words and did the right things enough that they elevated him to leadership within one of the Christian ministries, and he didn't even believe that God existed. Wow. So that would be the the most extreme example of a make-believer. But, you know, in, in the Bible— Jesus talks about the distinction between those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. But then he says that there will be a great separation one day. So in Matthew 25, talking about the the last day, he talks about how there are sheep and goats. And in Matthew 25, verses 31 through 33, he says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne 
Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. And so he goes on to talk about the judgment of people uh, based on what they have done, based on how they have treated whom he calls the least of these. For as they've done it unto the least of these or haven't done it unto the least of these, they have done these good things or have not done these good things unto him. But then even within the context of the church, Jesus talks about a separation of those who are truly his people and those who are not. We talked about in the sermon on Sunday the difference between the wheat and the weeds. And Jesus is very straightforward that they grow up together. Uh, the King James, I think, calls it the wheat and the tares. And the servants say, should we separate? He says, no, let them grow up together. We will separate. The angels will separate at the last day. And so it's not, it's not my job to go through and decide, well, you're a wheat and you're a tear. You're wheat and you're a weed, um, but all of us should look introspectively. And then there's another category, though, that Jesus mentions in the Sermon on the Mount, and he mentions it also in the Sermon on the Plain. He talks about uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. And so in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, Jesus says, "'Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits.'" Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. And so, you know, the Bible says that even Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And so there are wolves who try really, really hard to look like sheep. And they, they can infiltrate churches. They can even be elevated into leadership. And uh, part of the job of, of pastors, or shepherds, uh, is to protect the flock from wolves. And so um, we have to discern and have to pray and, and have to, to look for telltale signs that these are wolves pretending to be sheep because they're there to harm the flock. There is... There is demonic perfect attendance in church. So every time the church gathers, uh, there are demons there. And uh, I know that's such a strange idea for some people, but it, it's it's true uh, about the spiritual warfare that goes on, that if, if the demonic can distract from the message of God, if the demonic can, can bring destruction by teaching that which is false, but teaching it as that which is true, um, then that is, that is causing harm to the kingdom of God as it is expressed in this world. And so, um, yeah, when Steve said that in a sermon, I mean, I was in high school, and I still remember that there are believers and unbelievers and make-believers, and the challenge he was giving is, what are you? Examine your heart, you know. If you're a believer, then great. Uh, if you're an unbeliever, know that there's hope for you in Jesus Christ. If you're a make-believer, you need to know that is a very dangerous place to be because God will never be fooled. Yeah. How, how do we as disciples know that we're on the, the right side of that uh, judgment? We talk about fruit, that you know, we should be um, doing good works and that good fruit should be coming from us because that's a reflection of what's going on in our heart. What's the first step toward having that good heart that will produce good fruit? Well, I think, first of all, the desire. 
those who are who are lost and apart from Christ do not have the desire to please God. And um, the Bible says that everything that doesn't come from faith is sin. And so if I first examine my heart and I have a desire to please God, I think that's a great first step. And then a willingness to humble myself before God and pray and, and come to him and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Um, it's, it's the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7. He says, I know the good that I want to do, but the things that I don't want to do are the things that I, I continue to fall into. The, the good I want to do, I don't do, but the things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. And he reaches this, this climax of saying, wretched man that I am. And I think what Paul is illustrating for us, and, and I'm so thankful for this illustration, is that Paul is willing to humble himself and say, I struggle and I will take my struggle before the Lord. I will humble myself before the Lord and say, Lord, I, I have so much in me that I know does not honor you, that is not from you, that is not glorifying you. Um, and I want so badly to do what is right, and yet I find myself slipping into that which does not please you. It's, it's the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus says to the three, Peter, James, and John, who keep falling asleep, um, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so we have within us this, this spirit-flesh battle that I've, as a Christian, I've been given the Holy Spirit, but the flesh still tries to please itself. And so that's why I say struggling with sin is an evidence of salvation. Right. Because if the Holy Spirit's not in me, then I'm not going to struggle with sin. I'm just going to dive headlong into it, and I'm going to get whatever pleasure I can get out of it as long as I can get that pleasure out of it. So I think the first step is being willing to humble myself before Almighty God and go to Him honestly uh, confessing my sin and seeking, uh, seeking His forgiveness and transformation in my life. I would argue you can't do that without a regenerate heart. If, if I'm coming to the Lord, you know, there's, there's nobody that's, that's begging the Lord for forgiveness, begging the Lord that, that they would be transformed to be conformed to the image of Christ, who is not having a heart change wrought by the Holy Spirit in order to do that. That dovetails into my second question, which is, what is the perfect law, the law of liberty that James references? So he talks about a mirror, he talks about the perfect law. What, what, is he, what image is he trying to conjure there? Well, the, the short answer is it's the Word of God, and, and you point us to Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And so we look in the Old Testament, we have Torah, we have the law, we have the expression of the 613 commandments, which were the standard by which God's people were to live and thereby differentiate themselves from the rest of the world, for God had chosen them. Um, but in the New Testament, we learn a couple of things. Number one, we learn that Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but rather he came to fulfill it, that Jesus was the perfect fulfillment of all 613 commandments. He did what the law prescribed, and he was the only person ever to perfectly do so. So Jesus came to fulfill the law, and he said further, um, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. That's Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. And so, so Jesus didn't come to negate the law. He came rather to fulfill it. And the Bible is clear that we will not be saved by observing 
the law. We will not be saved by observing Torah. We will not be saved by, by keeping the law because we are not justified by works of the law. And in right. fact, Galatians chapter 2, verse 16 says, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul would say further in Galatians that, that the law was our guardian until Christ came. But, but here's, the, here's the thing. Again, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He fulfilled it. And when I come to Christ, now he gives me his Holy Spirit, and he hasn't nullified the law. It's not that adultery is okay now. It's not that murder's okay now, right. but it's that with the Spirit of God dwelling within me, I am now empowered by God himself to live out that which formerly I could not do. Commentator David Nystrom says this, Like Jesus, James does not have in mind a new law, but rather the fuller expression or more perfect distillation of the Jewish law. For the Christian, this law is still the will of God, but a more refined apprehension of that will. This is a law for which, for which a purer cannot be imagined. The perfect law, the word implanted and allowed to take root, is then the very teaching of Jesus. And we think about Jesus' teaching. How many times did he quote the Old Testament? So many times. Jesus held the Old Testament as perfectly authoritative in his life and in his ministry. So he affirmed the Old Testament and yet ushered in the New Testament. And, and that's that to which he calls us. So, so when James refers to the perfect law, the law of liberty, he's talking about the word of God, which is the teaching of Jesus, which we have expressed fully in the 66 books of the, the Bible, 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament. And so we look into the law, we look into the word of God, using it as a mirror to help us see the imperfections in us that God continues to take out. I heard once that it's like, you know, the, the Torah is like this mirror where it's the image that you're supposed to look at and you're supposed to draw more toward and become more like. And then, you know, in the same way, the Word made flesh, Jesus, our master, our rabbi, is who we're trying to be like and disciple under. So when we look to him and read his teachings, we're supposed to be more and more like him. Like, it's like we see him in the mirror and he's the reflection that we're supposed to become more and more like. Does that make sense? That's, yeah, absolutely. It makes sense. And I think that that is a great way to think about it. James even uses the, the mirror uh, illustration here. Um, and and if, if we are to hold our lives up to anything, we hold it up to the Word of God in print, but certainly we hold our lives up to the Word of God made flesh. You know, there are things in my life that I might be better, better than you. Uh, and there are certainly plenty of things in which you're better than me. But we are not the comparison. Jesus is the comparison. So when I hold my life up to Jesus, then that, that gives me the standard by which I will be judged. To know the grading scale is a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> this, this, this is the standard. And so when, when we hold ourselves up to Jesus, we all fall short, right. all of us. And again, we humble ourselves and say, Lord, I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need your intervention. I need your forgiveness. I need your help. So that's going to take us into our listener-submitted question for today. If you do have a question that you want to hear Jeff answer, a question about a sermon, a Bible story, or just the Christian walk, if you go to the description of this episode, there's going to be a link. Just click it and then submit your question. So today's question is, James consistently speaks highly of the law, and Paul often writes on grace. 
Some suggest that there's a discrepancy between their messages, that their theologies were grace versus works. Is there a disagreement between James and Paul? That's a great question, a very insightful question, and a question that, frankly, theologians have debated over the course of two millennia of church history. There were some theologians who did not include James in their canon of the New Testament. They felt like it did not fit. And so, particularly as we come into James chapter 2, we're going to see even more uh, argument that faith works. That's where the title of the series came from. It's, 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 it's that faith expresses itself in works. And so there are plenty of people who read through Romans and read through Galatians, both letters written by Paul. Uh, in fact, many people call Galatians kind of mini Romans, but they would say Paul argues so much against the, the righteousness that comes from the law, that we are not justified by the law. And then yet James here says, we look into the perfect law, which is the law of liberty. Uh, Paul would say the law constrains. James would say the law sets free and say, isn't that, isn't that an apparent contradiction? Well, it might be an apparent contradiction, but it's not a true contradiction because what you have is looking at the same truth from two different angles. So the apostle Paul is, is writing to say, you will not be saved by what you do. And, and he emphasizes that repeatedly, whether that is circumcision or whether that is keeping the festivals or whether that is, is living up to the moral law. You will not be justified in God's sight by doing these things. You're already a sinner. You've already broken the law. You've already separated yourself from God. Then James comes and looks at that same truth, recognizing that no one will be justified by observing the law. But then what is the outworking of a life that is surrendered to Christ? Well, it is the expression of that law empowered by the Holy Spirit. So Ephesians chapter 2 is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. And uh, if there's a summary statement about how we are saved, it is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, in which Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So Paul very straightforwardly says, our salvation is by God's grace through faith. And even our faith is a gift. We cannot say, look at the work that I have done for you, Lord. I am so deserving of this salvation. No, we come as, as, as beggars in need of everlasting life from God, and we humble ourselves and say, Lord, only by your grace might I receive this. But we always forget about verse 10. And here's the outworking. Verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2 says, For we are his, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so, absolutely, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed in Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. Those of you who are fans of church history will recognize those statements as the five solas of the Reformation. However, as we are not saved by good works, the Bible is clear that we are saved for good works. So that once I come to Christ, now through the work of the Holy Spirit within me, my faith expresses itself. And so really Paul and James are looking at the same truth. They're just kind of looking at it from two different angles. And, and there are times when Paul 
uh, as in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, explores that same angle as James here. You know, I mentioned in the sermon, it's kind of like going to the doctor and the doctor's saying, lose weight. Well, what, what do you mean? Well, lose weight. Well, can you explain that a little further? Yes, way less than you do right now. I mean, you know, it's it's yeah. it's very straightforward and it's very challenging teaching and what doesn't challenge us doesn't change us. And James James puts that straight before us and says, this is how you are called to live. I did want to ask, do you think that some of the apparent discrepancy comes from James writing to the 12 tribes, to Jewish people in the dispersion, and then Paul writing mostly to Gentile churches that are you know, m- largely consisting of Gentile people with some Jewish people? Yes, of course, of course. And, and so again, the, the first church council was about what do we do with these Gentiles who are now Christians? They do not have the background uh, of Torah. They right. do not have the background uh, of the law that God's people, the Jewish people, um, have had for all these centuries. And so what do we do with these people? And then further, what needs to be done insofar as do they need to be circumcised? What, what, what standards uh, are they to be held to from a cultural perspective? And, uh, and so they clarified that. But I think that writing to different audiences absolutely influences the way they come at the same argument. Thank you for all of these answers. They've been eminently practical as always. I think it's a, a good call to uh, look at ourselves and lose weight, lose weight, <laughs> way less. <laughs> work, work on our hearts to uh, come closer to Jesus and our discipleship to him. Uh, do you mind praying us out? I'd be glad to. Father, we love you, and we confess that we, we have missed your mark. Lord, you've called us to sinless perfection, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all means all, all of us. Only Jesus lived a life without sin. And so, Lord, we come to you humbly saying that we are sinners in need of your salvation. And we confess that we believe with our whole hearts that you have provided that salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord, that you so loved us that you gave your only begotten Son so that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Help us, Lord, to find our only hope of heaven in Jesus Christ, our Lord. But then once we've come to Christ, help us, Lord, through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit to live out our faith in a way that glorifies you and blesses people. Lord, we believe that the people you place around us are there intentionally. Lord, by your hand, providentially appointed to encounter us, and we pray that when they encounter us, they would increasingly encounter Jesus and not just us. So, Lord, we ask your blessing over our day. We ask your blessing over our lives, and we pray that you would help us to be everything you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channel. To submit a question about Sunday's sermon, the Bible, or walking with Jesus, click the link in the episode description. Our hosts today are Pastor Jeff Reynolds and myself, Jordan Upton. Our engineer is Elliot Beckley.